New Thinking Allowed, conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with parapsychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Our topic today is working with spirit mediums. And my guest, Bob Ginsberg, has been working with spirit mediums for the past 20 years. He is the co-founder with his late wife, Fran, of the Forever Family Foundation, an organization that actually certifies spirit mediums. And he is author of the new book, the Medium Explosion, a guide to navigating the world of those who claim to communicate with the dead. Bob lives in the New York area, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Bob. It's a real pleasure to have you with me on New Thinking Aloud. Well, it's my pleasure to be with you. I've watched your uh, recordings for many years. And as I recall, I've been a guest on your radio program, so uh, we've had a mutual exchange. I think for our viewers, it'll be very interesting to hear the history of uh, how you got started in all this work, how uh, perhaps we could begin with the founding of the Forever Family Organization. Well, I'll back up from the beginning. I, you know, I was... Um involved in the corporate world. I was leading a very uh, materialistic life. I was going, everything was going fine. Um, and then one day my, my wife woke up about three o'clock in the morning and she shot up into a sitting position. She was trembling and shaking and ashen white. I said, what's the matter? What's the matter? And she said, something horrible is going to happen today. And I said, well, what does that mean? And she said, I, I can't tell you, but it's going to be utterly devastating. And um, I did what a, a normal parent would do. I checked on my three children throughout the day, even though I didn't, at that point in my life, didn't believe in anything non-physical. However, there were many times in our lives together where my wife, Fran, had such precognitive moments, and they all turned out to be true. Um, they were all good things, but then logic told me, even if my rational mind said if she was right then, she could be right now. Uh, and to make a long story short, uh, I let my guard down at night. Uh, we went out to dinner, and my, my daughter and son were with us. We had two cars. They took one car home, uh, and on the way home, um, we were right behind them, and we came upon an accident, and my, my daughter uh, did not survive the accident and my son had serious injuries. Uh, and, and later on when it became clear that, it was about a month later, my son was in a coma uh, and, and it was became evident that he was gonna survive and he was gonna make a, a recovery. And then it, it dawned on me, how did my wife Fran know? Because I saw her, she knew, she definitely knew. And that started me on a quest of meeting with uh, scientists and researchers and medical doctors across the country, many of whom you've interviewed throughout the years, uh, to find out. I needed to know if there were, were there's credible evidence by credentialed people that studied consciousness. Is it, was it possible that we could survive uh, physical death? And that uh, one thing led to another. Uh, we 
we, we used to go to a support group. They wouldn't let us talk about life after death. Uh, the moderator would shut us down. So we started our own discussion groups because that's what people wanted to talk about. And eventually uh, we merged um, scientific inquiry with spirituality. And, and that is how the foundation uh, began. At some point, you decided to try to reach out and, and contact your deceased daughter by using spirit mediums. Yeah, I did. Um, I went uh, very reluctantly. Bear in mind that for four or five years, even after we formed Forever Family Foundation, I still didn't. I wasn't sold. Uh, and reluctant, reluctantly, my wife dragged me to see a medium. And um, the medium came to me and, and, and said that she had my deceased daughter and mentioned three very, very specific pieces of information that she could have could not have known. Um, I don't even know if how active Google was in 2002 and 2003, but it was information that um, nobody knew. Uh, and it was obviously nothing you could find on the internet. And I drove home that night thinking, scratching my head, trying to figure out any possible explanation for it. And I was coming up uh, blank on that. And uh, eventually uh, I started to uh, see a couple of other mediums. Some were horrible. So I got nothing from it. Others were intriguing. Uh, and that led me to uh, eventually want to learn how to study mediumship and evaluate for myself whether they were truly evidential or not. And now, after some 20 years of exploring in this area, you've put the book together, The Medium Explosion, to help other people in a situation similar to the one you were in. Yeah, and, and even though the book addresses a little bit of the evidence, the other evidence for uh, survival, uh, it, it, its main focus is on mediumship. And don't forget, we started a, a medium uh, certification program back in 2005, and uh, we did it purely as a resource for the bereaved. Um, so people, there's a tremendous misconception about you know mediums and how they work and what they can do. And, you know, I kind of went out on a limb, you know, based upon my own observations in all these years, I estimate that 85 to 90 percent of all practicing mediums today cannot do what they claim. I'm not suggesting that they're all fraudulent, although a small percentage are. Uh, they're just, they have some intuitive ability, uh, but it's not honed without skilled enough to the point where they can communicate with the dead. Uh, so this is more of a of a of a guidebook of what to expect, how to evaluate a, re a reading, and, and and kind of probing the way the the mind of the mediums work. Well, I suppose the first thing uh, our viewers should know, if they don't already know, is there's no official regulatory agency. If you want to practice law or psychotherapy or or medicine or almost every other profession, you need to get a credential of, of some sort, but anybody can call themselves a spiritualist or a spirit medium or a psychic and uh, put a shingle out. And, and if, if they're good, presumably they'll attract customers, but sometimes even if they're not skilled in what they claim to be, but have certain other skills that simulate real mediumship, they can also attract customers. You're absolutely right. When you think about it, 
mediums, uh, by definition of what they do, are sitting with people that are very vulnerable. They're, they're in all sorts of stages of grief. Um, and how many practitioners, especially those that are engaged in the mental health field, can uh, practice without any um, ethical guideline standards or, or levels of proficiency? Um, uh, it doesn't exist. And yet here we are, you know, mediums are right out on, on, the, on the front lines. Uh, and they're sitting before people that are hanging by a thread, um, and and the people can walk away um, with a a, a, a life trans transforming reading that was extremely evidential, or it could go the other way. They get a reading that makes no sense, or it was horrible, and they walk away in worse shape than what they can, you know, when they came. But you're right. To everybody, you know, we believe has some degree of intuitive ability, and. You know, they may say something in a family setting or with friends, and the friend says, hey, you should do this for a living. You could be like so-and-so on TV. And like, as you suggested, Jeff, they go out and hang a shingle and start charging a lot of money, and they're mediums, you know, but who's to say whether they really are? And the skeptical organizations... I don't have a lot of respect for the state of skepticism because many, many skeptics uh, are ignorant and they, they, they're they skeptical because of an emotional bias that they, they have without bothering to read the literature or do experiments themselves. Nevertheless, they've come up with this notion of what they call the cold reading. And I gather from your work, you, you believe that the cold reading is something that many mediums practice. It's a way of appearing to be a psychic sensitive, but actually fooling your clients. I believe that's true. And I've also seen it among mediums that I know are, are well qualified um, and very evidential. Um, and yet they will occasionally mix in, um, you know, their own conscious interpretations and, and, and espouse their own, their own feelings in the middle of a ring. Don't forget, we've put our mediums today in the role of being performers. You know, we, we, put the, we put them up on a platform in front of a large number of people, um, and, and when they're engaged in communicating with discarded entities, sometimes it doesn't happen bang, bang. They, they need to contemplate and, and listen carefully, so to speak. Um, and dead air, it's a bad pun, but dead air is, is, is not good on radio or when you're performing, so they feel compelled to fill in the blanks. Uh, when they fill in the blanks is where they get into trouble because they, um, instead of just saying what they're getting and letting the sitter, the person who's getting the reading, interpret it, they misinterpret a lot of the, the, the information. So I, I think it's, it, it's a, it's a real problem in, in mediumship development. People have to, you know, have to learn how to present the evidence, uh, and, and uh, it's a continuing problem. But there are others, as you mentioned, that when I, I train sitters when they want to participate in, in, in our program, and when I'm training them, as an example, I can give them a reading that they will score as 90% accurate. And I have no mediumistic ability at all because I'm all giving them, I'm giving them general information, um, and and you know using some cold reading techniques. 
So, you know, the way we, we score these things, if somebody's, if you're a medium and you're giving me a reading and obviously you see what I look like and you tell me that my, you have uh, my grandmother in spirit and you ask me, is my grandmother in spirit? Yeah, you know, she'd be 130 if she was still alive. So it's a pretty, pretty good statement. And I'd have to mark it as true. But if the medium looked at me and said, oh, I have your grandmother Rebecca here and my grandmother's name was Rebecca, that should be scored more heavily than that general piece of information. Well, it seems as if one of the techniques of cold reading is to kind of fish for information. And you point out that many bereaved parents or, or bereaved spouses will give information to the medium and not even be aware of it uh, if they don't have, for example, a tape recording of the session so they can go back and check. Yeah, we find that time and time again, you know, people, they, th they think they heard something, but when you go and listen to the recording or you check their notes, that really wasn't said. I mean, they, they desperately want to connect with their loved one. They will make things fit. I mean, I, I recall uh, a time my next door neighbor, uh, her husband passed in an unfortunate um, accident at work, and uh, she knew the you know, what Fran and I did. And one day she asked uh, if we could listen to a recording that she had with, with a, um, a medium. And she told me that the medium was unbelievable. The medium got her husband's exact name, his exact uh, cause of death, um, and all these other factual statements. But when I listened to the tape, the medium mentioned 10 names, um, one of which was her husband's name, but her husband had a very, very common, you know, first name. Um, and didn't exactly uh, get um, uh, the cause of death, um, you know. So, uh, and there were many other statements that she thought the medium had said, and we pointed out the medium really didn't say it, and she was amazed because that's that's what she heard. So it, it is a problem, you know. We have to counsel the sitters: don't feed the medium. It's important to let them know if they're on the right track. Yes or no type answers. Yes, I understand. No, I don't. Or give me more. Uh, but many times um, they hear things that really weren't said. It sounds like what you're describing here is typically a one-on-one -on -one session. I, I gather these days in the era of the pandemic, this is often done by telephone or communicating by Skype or Zoom as we are now. But in, in the old days of spiritualism, people gathered for seances in groups. It was really quite different. I mean, there were uh, no games to play on the internet. I mean, uh, these were centers of of, uh, of entertainment. People gathered in seances. There was an explosion of a sorts back in the Victorian era. Uh, these things were commonplace. There were thousands of mediums, you know, all over the world. Uh, but you couldn't look things up. I was talking with a medium the other day, and he pointed out to me, he said, this is a real problem now because he's already caught some of his colleagues um, that are, that were mediums, as they're doing a reading on Zoom um, and, and in a Zoom meeting uh, or whatever platform, meeting platform you're using, you see this, the, the people's names. And as he's giving the readings uh, on the same screen, he's looking them up um, and giving information, you know, um, that under the pretense of coming from spirit, and it's really coming from Google. <laughs> and since it spawned a whole new level of fraud, which during this, the age of spiritualism, um, that didn't exist. I mean, so um, it, it is uh, very difficult now. But 
theoretically, you know, if, if the medium is legitimate, the information, as you know, coming through um, uh, a telephone or through a meeting platform or Skype, it's the same level of information. Uh, you know, the distance doesn't mean anything when we're talking about communicating through dimensions. I have a, a friend who died many years ago and communicated uh, multiple times through multiple people, in, including myself, actually. And uh, one of the characteristics reported by many of the people who received these communications was an overwhelming sense of love that when when people are on the other side, it seems as if they can not always, but they, they can be in a state in which the emotion of, of love, affection, warmth, the kind of uh, platonic bliss, a universal quality of love seems to be the dominant feature of their experience there. And I know you've also written about it, but you've cautioned people that uh, they should be looking for evidence, not just statements of love. Yeah, and one of the questions we ask the mediums early on when they're submitting a, a, some answers to some questions and we're doing some uh, screening is, what do you think is more important, the evidence or the message? And some of the mediums say, oh, you know, it's the, it's the message of love that's important. I I don't like that answer because, you know, you, how do you accept the message of, of saying, you, you know, your mom loves you unless there's evidence that you're really talking to my mom? You know, so I think the evidence has to come through, then the messages. Uh, but you raise another interesting question is, you know, it also dawned on me after many, many years and witnessing a thousand readings, how come th there's none of the readings are ever negative in nature? You know, there are no malevolent forces, you know, and, and then the mediums explain that happens because they ask spirit or they ask their guides to surround them in a, in a loving presence or, or, or a white light, so to speak. But it could also be uh, that the, uh, the dominant emotion, as you suggest, in, in this other realm is one of love and compassion. Um, and not to say that you know, there, there's no such thing as negative energy, but they just don't, doesn't seem to, to come through in these medium readings. And perhaps the, the strong emotion of, of, of love uh, actually acts as a conduit by which discarnates can use to communicate and get through. Let's talk about the certification process that the Forever Family Foundation developed. I think it's really quite interesting and rare because there are very few organizations that will go to the trouble of certifying mediums. Yeah, you know, I took input from, from some of the, you know, people in the field that are doing this work and research in university settings, and I, I kind of enhanced it a little bit, you know, I think in terms of scoring for um, specific information versus, you know, general. And what, and, and I, so what we do is we never solicit any medium, you know, they, they come to us, they'll send an inquiry via the, the website, we'll ask them a few, you know, basic questions, looking for any possible red flags. Uh, if that looks okay, uh, we'll send them an extensive application to complete. That's reviewed by committee. 
um, if it's felt by the committee, uh, committee that the medium we should proceed forward, uh, an interview was arranged. That's an extensive 45 minute interview. That's reviewed. And then if it's decided to proceed with an actual evaluation, we invite them. The medium does a series of five readings for five trained sitters who are well uh, knowledgeable in scoring information. And then we have five different scoring methods by which we um, evaluate, you know, the proficiency of the medium. If they meet our guidelines, uh, minimum guidelines, they get certified. We run roughly since 2005, um, only 10 to 15 percent over the years have gained certification, which means 85 to 90 percent don't. Um, doesn't mean that they're a bad medium. I understand mediums are not um, used to being evaluated under controlled conditions. There's electronic issues, uh, you know, and I can only attest to the fact that during the time that we evaluated them, they, you know, performed at a very high level. What we have found is that the mediums that we've certified throughout the years have been extremely consistent. They really have a, rarely have a bad reading. And a lot of them have gone on to participate in formal, you know, mediumship research. Uh, so it's not a foolproof method, but it, it served our purposes over the years. Problem is, a lot of the mediums that we've certified have gone on to become famous. And when they become famous, um, several things happen. They have a two, three year or more waiting list. They charge really lots of money for a reading. <laughs> uh, so it kind of defeats the purpose of having a resource for the bereaved. The key to that is finding more qualified mediums, and that's, that's what we're, we're really engaged in now. How many total mediums would you say have been certified by your organization? In, since 2005, uh, 23, 24 mediums. That's it. Um, you know, part of it, we, we have high standards, plus we, we just haven't had the manpower to physically do these, these sessions, you know, which we're addressing now. Uh, but uh, it has, um, you know, it's, it's been interesting. You know, there are some very high-profile mediums that have not gained certification, and then there are unknown ones, you know, that have. There no, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Well, I think it's worth mentioning that it's a volunteer organization. You're not working with paid staff, and I presume, correct me if I'm wrong, you're not charging these mediums to get certified either. No, that would that would uh, dilute the integrity of the program. So that the you know the mediums they also cannot they can't pay to participate. They can't pay to be listed on our website. That's just something that we do. Uh, we are totally all volunteers. Um, you know, we have, uh, uh, you know, well over 10,000 members worldwide. And uh, I must admit that since the, the Netflix series ad uh, aired uh, Surviving Death, we've, um, membership has really been coming in at a much, you know, higher rate because we were featured in that. But, um, yeah, nobody has ever gotten paid. Um, um, you could make the argument that the only one people involved with the foundation that perhaps gain monetarily would be the mediums because um, they're, they have a business. They have, you know, obviously they have to charge for, the, for their readings. And so people look at the certified list and they go to them. So there is an advantage. In return for that, once the mediums are certified, that they ask 
uh, that we ask them to donate their time um, to the foundation, either in a uh, you know uh, to appear at a retreat or uh, appear on, the, on one of our radio shows or uh, donate a reading in a raffle. Ways that we can use the, use their services to raise some money because not profits have to make money too somehow because we have bills to pay. Um, so there, there's some some sort of a symbiotic relationship there, but. Um, you know, we've managed, you know, well since we started in 2003. And, um, uh, you know, if you, I think if you have the right intention, somehow the, the money comes in. If we're ever running low on funds, a big donation comes in or, 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 or uh, an event happens where we make money. It's everything seems to work out. Let me ask you this, Bob. What distinguishes a medium from a psychic? It's such a common, uh, those terms are used interchangeably. I mean, even mediums refers to them as psychics or sitters. They'll go to have a medium reading and they said, I went to a psychic. The underlying mechanism, you know, may come from the same source in psychic information and mediumistic information. I mean, if you look at mental mediumship as telepathy, um, the only difference between, you know, mind-to-mind -mind, uh, communication with two living entities and, and mediumship is that one of the parties doesn't have a body, but they still have a, a mind or a soul or a consciousness, whatever we choose to, to call it. So, you know, it's it said, it's kind of a trite saying, you know, that all mediums are psychic, but not all psychics or, or mediums. And my experience is that that's true because... There are many, many mediums that give psychic information that's extraordinary, but they're no good at communicating with discarnate entities. Um, you know, I, it seems to be like a separate skill set, or maybe the resonance isn't there between the, the sitter and the medium and, 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 the, uh, and the person in spirit. But um, so, and that's the hardest part for us to distinguish between. Uh, when we're doing the medium certifications, you know, I try to explain to the sitter, okay, if the medium comes to you and says that, um, that, um, did you just paint your bedroom pink, you know, and, and let's say you just painted your bed, your bedroom pink, I mean, that would seem to be an extraordinary, extraordinary piece of information, but it does nothing in terms of evidence of life after death, you know, if on the other hand, the medium said, bring, is bringing through, you know, my deceased mom with all sorts of specific evidence and then says, oh, by the way, mom is saying she likes that you, you know, that you just painted your, your bedroom pink. Well, then that could be scored because the evidence has already been established and the connection's been made. So, you know, as you well know, I mean, differentiating, you know, like living agent psi from, you know, uh, discarnate communication, I don't know whether we're ever going to be able to parse the two. We can only do the best that we can. Many mediums go into a complete trance. They're not even conscious of what they said. It's as if they become possessed by either their own spirit guide or by the uh, spirits who, who come through them the, of the deceased. Uh, how often do you find that amongst these mediums that you're working with? I have never witnessed any of the mental mediums that we have dealt with over the years go into trance. Some some tell us that they go into a semi-trance. Evidently, there's there's two types of, of trance states. You know, one where the medium is conscious of the information that came through, and one where there's complete 
control, the, 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 the body is taken over. None of the mental mediums practice using trance, uh, they, at least not in the, what I've observed. I think in their own practices, you know, they may. But it's not something that, that, that we see very often. And how about the physical phenomena of mediumship? For example, apports, materializations, direct voice. These were, they're rare, but they've been reported dozens and dozens of times in the literature of, uh, for example, the Society for Psychical Research. Do you encounter any of that among the mediums with whom you work? No, you know, and I'm, I'm, I became, you know, versed in, in the literature, and, and, and I even participated. Uh, my wife and I went to see a, a physical medium, you know, from, from Europe just because we were curious. Oddly enough, I always found this a little strange that when I would bring up the subject of physical mediumship to our certified mental mediums, a large number of them were very dismissive of it and said that they didn't believe it, you know, which I thought was a kind of a weird stance to take since they're also communicating with the non-physical world, you know, so um, you have to keep an open mind. But um, it's, it's so different from mental mediumship that even mediums that are evidential um, can't grasp the, the concept of physical mediumship. And yet we know, as you point out, from physical mediums have been studied by great minds and, uh, and Nobel Prize winners and, and, uh, and, and have found to be, uh, many of course were fraudulent, but many were not and they did extraordinary things. Question is, why don't we see them today? I mean, there are a handful, but there's not, there are not many. And, and, and the, um, it's a problem for researchers because most of the sessions take place in, in, in darkness, total darkness, except for occasional very, very dim, you know, red light source. So it's impossible uh, for when I went to see the physical medium. Yeah, I mean, I witnessed I got wrapped about 10 or 15 times by a floating trumpet and I saw, you know, a laser show of light. But there was no way to make a, for me to make a, an independent, unbiased judgment because it was total darkness. It could be extraordinary or it could be a fraud, and I couldn't tell, I couldn't make the judgment, which was frustrating to me. When it comes to evidence of survival, you emphasize that a lot. You point out that bereaved relatives and friends want that. They want some evidence that their loved one actually has survived. And what you seem to be saying is that that kind of evidence is available, uh, at least in a percentage, a measurable percentage of cases. Yeah, I mean, some people for some people are like me. I, I needed the evidence and the, the science part of it to open me up to the to the spiritual part um, and and the anecdotal you know part. Um, and I believe that it's important. I mean, to to learn as much as you can about near death experiences and, and and end of life experiences and reincarnation and electronic voice phenomena, you know, and after-death communications and everything, because you, you need a foundation of belief. You know, sometimes you'll go to a medium reading, you'll get a really good reading, and then you'll go back into the real world, and you're kind of on this high um, for a while, and then it begins to dissipate, and you start questioning what really happened. But if you have a broad foundation, everything, you can dismiss any one of these disciplines of research, 
But if you step back, step back and look at them, all of them collectively, then um, survival of consciousness makes the most sense uh, because, you, you know, everything can't be wrong. <laughs> so I, I think there's a lot of evidence out there. Some people haven't, uh, my wife had an inner knowing, you know, she, she thought in science, science was important, but she did not think it integral in her process. She just knew that, that we survived physical death. Other people, um, I have to be brought to it, you know, and, and I think what the value of studying the, the evidence, the scientific evidence, um, it's like cognitive behavior therapy. If you, if we can use that to change the way we think about death, um, then we could move from that vague hope into, into a belief and then ultimately a knowing stage. One of the points you make in your book is that people who are suffering from grief need evidence many times, but they also need grief counseling. And uh, mediums are not necessarily, even very talented mediums, are not necessarily skilled at uh, psychological counseling. True. And I think that you should, I think all mediums, uh, it should be mandatory that they attend some, some grief workshops to get a better understanding of the nature of grief and how to present information, you know, that they're getting. Mediums should never, ever represent themselves as, as, as therapists or grief counselors. Having said that, they act in that capacity. I mean, they're on the front line and, and they are working uh, with um, people that have uh, emotional trauma. Um, and to me, I mean, might be the, the, the best um, form of grief therapy that there is, uh, because what could give you more hope and comfort and, uh, than believing that your deceased loved one still exists in some form? So even though they're not represent, representing themselves as uh, grief therapists, they really are acting in that capacity, and it's a tremendous responsibility. Lots of times, even for people who don't think of themselves as having any mediumistic talent, they experience vivid encounters with their deceased loved ones uh, in dreams and visions. Yeah, I think that dream visits uh, are the most often um, uh, form of after-death communication. I mean, the theory being that when we're in that REM stage of, of sleep and our, our chatter mind or monkey mind, so to speak, is put to rest, that that opens up a channel for communication. Um, we always encourage people, you know, to pay attention and to journal them. Uh, many people will describe a distinct uh, difference between a so-called regular dream and a, a uh, dream visitation where they're very tactile. They could see their loved ones sometimes or talk to them or hug them or kiss them and, and you know, and smell them. Um, and it stays with them. And sometimes it could be a, a, a transformative experience. Um, but that, um, you know, we try to, to, at our grief retreats, we try to teach ways of getting into altered states of consciousness and meditation and, and things of, of that nature to quiet your mind and, and you know, and, and let a, a spirit come through. So, uh, yeah, you know, we can be personal communicators and not be mediums. Given that 
there is that possibility, though. What, what does the medium add? If I'm already having dreams, let's say, of a departed loved one, why would I then wish to seek uh, help from a medium? You know, I, I once, every once in a while, we'll do surveys, and I, I once asked a question of, of a general membership. Would you prefer to get a communication from your deceased loved one directly or through a medium? And when I designed that survey, I felt positive that the vast majority was going to say that I would rather get a communication directly. And that wasn't the case. The actual majority said through a medium. So then you start to probe why, and then uh, the answers that I was getting, well, I question myself when I'm getting information. So I want a professional, you know, doing it for me. So I can trust the information from a medium, and uh, and whereas, you know, to myself, I, maybe I'm making it up. Um, there's also fear into You know, some people have a fear of the unknown and fear of... of you know, what the media portrays is, is the paranormal. So they think that they're doing something wrong if they, if they try to communicate themselves, but it's okay if, if, if somebody else did it. So um, I think that, to me, I would much rather have a direct personal conversation than coming through a third party, um, but uh, I understand the reasons why people still seek mediums. I presume that after your daughter died, you were able to establish some sort of communication, either through mediums or through personal experiences that convinced you of her survival, that that must have been a big impetus for creating the Forever Family Foundation. Yeah, and, and, and um, I, I, as I mentioned, I'm not intuitive at all, uh, but in a, and over the course, after my daughter passed, I'd say over a period of about seven years, um, I received, I had 75 dream visitations with her. And, and, and I wrote every single one of them down. Um, I was useless when I was in a conscious state, but somewhat useful when I was unconscious. Um, and, 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 and she was able to get through. And they, they were very meaningful to me. Uh, at the same time, uh, uh, my wife, Fran, uh, was having uh, many, many extraordinary experiences. You know, we were married, um, you know, 46 years. She never, ever lied to me in 46 years, and I knew that she wouldn't lie to me about something like this. Um, so I was sort of living vicariously through the experiences that she had. Um, and then there were many occurrences, some of which I write about in the book, that um, I felt were... Uh, extraordinary and, and and I would reflect back on, on all these things and I use that you know for myself as a, as a coping mechanism you know when I when I get really bad I mean I'm, I'm doing that right now since Fran's passing uh, to dig myself out of the hole I'll reflect back on what I what I journaled or what I what I've learned over the years or a medium reading or you know or, or the personal experiences and I can use that to to reassure myself that um, we'll be uh, reunited again at some point. So you would encourage people who are going through the stage of grieving to keep a journal? Absolutely. It serves a lot of purposes, uh, you know, and, and one of which is what I just mentioned. So when you're, when you, when you're in those chasms of despair, pull out your journal and remember what, you know, these communications that you had, you know, they could be uplifting. Um, 
you know, other, uh, others, uh, when it comes to, as I mentioned, in mediumship, it's a valuable tool. Uh, you could, if you had a really strong reading, you can get some reassurance by going over that reading, um, you know, you know, maybe even years later. Uh, besides the evidentiary uh, purpose of being able to evaluate the evidence. I gather that since you've lost your wife, Fran, recently, and, and she was a partner with you in this work for so many years, that you probably at some level still feel connected with her. And yet, uh, at the other level, the human level, the here and now level, uh, knowing that there is an afterlife and even feeling in communication with it doesn't necessarily end, put an end to grief. Yeah, you're yeah, that, that's that's very very true. Um, you know, sometimes I get a little aggravated because people will think that, well, you know, because of the work that you do, and you know, you've been doing all these years, and your association with the mediums, whatever. I mean, you're probably doing pretty well um, in your grief. And of course, you know, I'm human. You know, and we grieve because we love. And I still don't have them here physically uh, to interact with. And uh, it, it's still a process and, and you're still going to grieve, you know, mediums grieve, you know, um, I grieve and everybody does. It's, it's, it's just the nature of loss. Uh, uh, I think that I and others have a distinct advantage over those who see no possibility or refuse to accept the possibility, you know, that we survive physical death. Um, some people I see over the years, they get defined by their grief and the, and the um, suggestion that their loved one still exists um, is hurtful to them because it, in their mind, it somehow diminishes the depth of their, of their despair and of their grief. Um, and, and those people sometimes um, will never change and they live the rest of their physical lives, you know, with those beliefs. Um, and um, I, I think, you know, I just feel bad that, the, you know, they couldn't find... Um, any, uh, you know, hope uh, as they live out their lives. Well, Robert Ginsburg, this has been a very heartfelt conversation. I'm grateful to you and the decades of work that you've put into the Forever Family Foundation. And uh, obviously, it's been a resource for many, many grieving individuals and families. It's been a pleasure to be with you, Robert. Thank you so much for being with me. Thank you, Jeff. It was my honor to be on your show. And for those of you watching or listening, thank you for being with us.